Ladies, uh, ladies and gentlemen, if we could uh, get on with the next panel. Thank yes. you. When do they when do they phone? Friday. They phone. I, I heard that there was something coming. Hopefully the next panel uh, on the container market will be as entertaining and as informative as the bulker panel was beforehand. Sorry, could we just have a little bit of quiet? Thank you. The next panel, uh, I'm delighted to uh, welcome our guests on the container market who will hopefully be giving us uh, as enlightening and in interesting insights as uh, the bulker market panel beforehand. The container market, as you all know, has seen some strengthening across all of the sectors and is showing increasing signs of stability, even in those sectors uh, that aren't rising uh, at a rate of knots. Utilisation rates are also coming down and we're seeing the idle fleet reduce significantly. Also, to date, there has been some sense being shown by owners in relation to new bills and the number of new bills is also coming down significantly. As far as the market is concerned, we're seeing a veritable mix of challenges for operators and owners. We're seeing consolidation amongst the big players. New players are coming in and new countries are getting involved in container markets that weren't previously involved in container markets, such as Greece. We're seeing new financial structures, the increased use of the leasing markets, operators getting vessels off their balance, balance sheets and looking to the leasing markets as a solution. New technologies driven by environmental requirements and laws. A change in the markets themselves. Production hubs are being set up closer to the markets, closer to the buyers. We're also seeing the unstoppable rise and rise of the internet giants, the Amazons and Alibabas, looking to get into the vertical market structures that they favour. We're seeing increased IT, technology, digitalisation demands, and the risks that those advances carry with them as far as cybersecurity, GDPR, etc. are concerned. And of course, finally, we're seeing uh, the now age-old problem of ballast water and scrubber regulations coming in at a rapid rate of knots too. To make sense of all of this um, possible confusion, um, our esteemed panel will hopefully uh, take us through and guide us. And I, a warm welcome to Aristides Pitas, the CEO of Euroseas, to Ian Weber, CEO of Global Ship Lease, and to George Yurukos, CEO of Poseidon Containers. Now, these three gentlemen were uh, to be accompanied by another two. The panel is rather depleted, so we really are going to have to, the spotlight is very much on you guys, to uh, take us through all the questions that I'm going to put through to you. But please make it a a discussion amongst yourselves. Don't wait for me to ask the questions. And please, if there are questions from the audience as we go along, please stick your hand up and we will uh, take questions as we go through. The first question then. The recent consolidations, and we've seen the establishment of one, we've seen the uh, merger between Maersk and Hamburg Sud, Hapag Lloyd and UASC and CSAV and Costco and OOCL. The primary objective of those consolidations was to achieve scale, and the word scale has been frequently mentioned by 
CEOs of the largest companies uh, of late. And, and the purpose of achieving scale, scale in fleet size, is to try to achieve the economies uh, and, and efficacies that we all have read and known about. Gentlemen, how else, in your views, can scale be achieved over and above fleet size? Are we just talking about getting bigger, or can scale be achieved in other ways? And the first question, please, to go to Aristides, if you wouldn't mind. Good morning. Good morning, everybody. This is a, a great, a great, a great question. Uh, and I think the focus lately has been on scale. Uh, Hello? No, that's much better. <laughs> okay, good morning, everybody. Uh, this discussion about scale and consolidation is a discussion that we have been hearing uh, for, for quite some time, uh, and we've seen it being implemented uh, in the container space uh, from, the from the side of the uh, charterers. One thing which is more important than scale and we should never lose focus on is profitability, because this is the major reason why all businesses exist, to be profitable, not to be large. So large can help, and it does help uh, in, in many times in, in uh, improving profitability, but please, please don't you know, think only about scale, which can have very disruptive uh, and uh, bad results. And shipping is a very cyclical market. And in a cyclical market, if you're big and the market gets, gets sour, that's even a bigger problem. So you have to find areas where the people that merge or consolidate in order to achieve scale actually get advantages and significant advantages uh, in that. From the side of the charterers, this was a necessity to happen because the trading in containers has been suboptimum. Ships go around carrying very, very little containers at points. And the objective of maximizing the number of containers you can put on uh, your ship, the objective of having the bigger ships, which are much more economic in terms of the cost of carrying a container, were there. And all these companies uh, started and had to, to go uh, along that route. And this is something that uh, to a great extent has happened. I don't think it can happen much more. We've got just uh, a few uh, big uh, companies or groups of companies. One, for example, is three different companies working together. Uh, and, and this is big enough. Now, the problem comes to what do the operators and the vessel providers do to compensate this uh, difference where we have the few big players and very many, uh, very many operators, uh, vessel owners, vessel providers around. I believe that as long as there are quite a few uh, still operators and there is so many, but so many owners, the market, the charter market, works quite efficiently. So even if you are a very big company or you are a small container company, container-owning company, you still get the market. It's still a market, especially for the smaller size vessels. 
For the bigger size vessels, there are much fewer players and they're maintaining and creating uh, relationships with a few big operators is very crucial uh, in, uh, in your profitability at the, at the end. So I don't think that uh, for the smaller size vessels there is this absolute need for consolidation. The problem and the focus has to be in profitability. Extremely small companies, of course, cannot operate efficiently, but even medium-sized companies can be very efficient from the cost side of operations and in the chartering side of operations. So I said quite a lot, let my... So, so if, uh, if vessel numbers alone, size of operation is not the only scale factor, how else can the small and medium operator achieve the scale in order to be able to be attractive to the large customers? George. Well, the, I think I will just have to speak about what I said in a bit more technical way. Liner companies, since they made the mistake of ordering these very large ships, the 20,000s, they realized that uh, those ships, in order to be efficient, they have to be also filled with containers. As on paper, yes, they were very efficient, uh, they had economies of scale, subject that they were filled. And it's not an easy thing to fill you know, a 20,000 EU ship where you have a line uh, that has nine or ten of those ships in a string. Therefore, the need of consolidation started with a 3M, which didn't pass the Chinese, uh, if you remember, uh, authorities. Uh, what was it? Uh, you know, they were judged as uh, a you know, uh, consortium. Uh, and then they did a 2M, and so on and so forth. So all of that was uh, initiated to start filling the big ships. Since then, the cascading effect has happened, where the liner companies they all, the thing that they all care about the most is the slot cost, which is how much it costs them for each box in the container, in the, in the ship. What is the cost to them for each space into the, in the container ship? And that's the slot cost. The slot cost goes down as the ship goes up. You know, the bigger the ship, the lower the slot cost. Therefore, uh, the mentality behind online companies now is to try and get in every service, whether it's a small service or a big service, the, the largest possible ship so that they can achieve the lowest cost to them, slot cost. So obviously, in order to have uh, you know, a large ship being traded in every possible trade, and when I say large ship, it doesn't have to be at 14,000 EU. A large ship is a 6,000 EU in a trade that used to be dominated by two and a half, or you know, a two and a half in a trade that used to be dominated by 1,000s. So larger, not large by absolute numbers. So in order to fill the services with bigger ships, you need uh, consortiums. You need these uh, consolidation of charters where they are two or three land companies operating that service, and therefore they have a larger, you know, each one uh, putting together the market share, they're putting together the boxes, so they can fill the ships. So that's, I think, what has initiated the whole thing about uh, consolidation of liner companies, and I think will continue, because it makes sense. I don't think there's going to be more con much more consolidation, because they have already consolidated quite a bit. They're not going to be end up with two or three at the end of the day. Uh, so, now on the, why, how is, on the, your question about 
a smaller owner, what can a smaller owner do to be attractive? I think he has to have the right ships. He has to have the ships that the liner companies want. And that's in containers, it's, a, it's more of a, it's not as straightforward as you have in dry bulk or in tankers where most ships are more or less the same, you know. You just have to look at the cubics, you have to look at the consumption, and that's more or less what you have to look at. In containers, there's a lot of features in the ship, and you can pick and choose. You know, it's the depth, the width, the length, the reefer capacity, the fuel consumption, the, the, the homogeneous loading, and so on and so forth. Thank you. Uh, and, and would you, and this is to, to Ian, we just heard there that the, the smaller operators, the medium operators, have to have the ships that the larger operators want. Tell us a bit about those ships. I mean, we've, we've heard from Jeremy Nixon, Soren Sku, uh, that in order to be compatible with the big liner operators, these vessels have to have the same integrated platforms, have to adopt the same IT structures and networks on board. Uh, is that... A, a prerequisite to being attractive to these big liner operators? Are these small operators having to adapt and have the same integrated platforms as the larger liner companies? Uh, well, I would, I would say that every operator in the business, be it owner or, or um, charterer, uh, ha has to uh, adapt and evolve IT systems in particular. Whether they need to be compatible or not, completely integrated or not, uh, I don't know. Um, but picking up on a couple of things which uh, Aristides and, and George said, um, one of the reasons why there's been corporate consolidation and contractual consolidation by virtue of the alliances, and there are four big alliances which cover the top nine liner operators, and those top li nine liner operators account for some 83% of, uh, of total ship capacity on the water. Uh, one, of, one of the reasons why they consolidate is to get network efficiencies, which George alluded to, uh, to facilitate the efficient operation of, of those uh, ship systems. On the face of it, that's bad news for owners like us, because the big companies will be doing what they do today with fewer ships tomorrow. And, and we certainly expected a hiccup in the charter market around this time last year, when the big alliances came into effect. Uh, but actually, we didn't see that, uh, quite the reverse, um, and, and the strong market has continued with a little bit of a lull. And we think that we didn't see that uh, because the alliances were so keen to put on a fantastic service offering uh, for their customers that they possibly um, uh, structured their ship systems to be too large, which, uh, which put some strength in the charter market in February, March, April last year. Uh, we then saw a negative reaction to that. The charter market sort of flattened a bit last year, but, but now, again, with reasonable demand growth, the charter markets continue to improve. Um, and a word on, on the, the smaller operators and profitability, which Aristides said. Uh, the, I can't remember what numbers they are, but the 10th or 11th or 12th or 13th largest operators are, are Wanhai and PIL very successful liner companies out with the conference structure with medium sized and smaller ship fleets. They're regionally focused, they're, in, they're, they're inter-regional trade specialists and they can make money in their niches where the other operators, the very large companies, seem not to be able to. Thank you. 
Uh, we heard from the bulk panel before that in a good market, it pays to trade spot and to grab as much as one can while the, the sun shines, make as much hay while the sun shines. Given the consolidation in the container market, how does the uh, smaller tramp owner fit into the new structure uh, and how does he or she benefit or ensure that he or she benefits as much as possible in the present rising uh, stable market? Aristides. Uh, I think what is important to realize is that uh, there are two different markets playing out in the container sector. The market for the big ships, and the ships above 10,000 TEU, it used to be about above six or 7,000 TEU, but most, more of the medium-sized vessels have come down to the normal charter market, and, and uh, there we continue to see in the smaller sizes, we continue to see that there is a charter market, there is a, mar a spot market. It's not a spot market, it's uh, you know, small period, period charters from two, three months up to a year. Uh, on the bigger ships, it's a different question. You have to have a pre-agreement with the, with, with the charterers, you fix for long term, you have to do that. You cannot really have a smaller companies competing there. It's, it's bigger companies, bigger money, uh, it doesn't apply. The, the, problem, the, the question is for the smaller vessels where we traditionally and historically have had the market. Initially we had many operators as we said and, and many vessel providers. Nowadays there are much less operators but there are still many vessel providers. Will this market continue to function? Therefore, will we have a charter market where we'll, we see charter rates going up and down significantly, going from $5,000 to $20,000 if we're talking about the 2,500 EU ship? Will we have that? I think we will continue to see that uh, for the foreseeable future. I don't see the dynamics being there to change this, uh, this structure at all. The bigger operators, they are concentrating on maybe acquiring uh, bigger ships. On the smaller ships, they are not really focusing and they are relying on the charter market to be providing them. So I think this is something that uh, will continue and we will continue to see people fixing for shorter terms and playing the market and buying ships when they are cheap and selling them when they are expensive. I think this is said to continue for quite a few more years. Thank you. George, do you have any comments on that? I mean, the, 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 the typical tramp owner two years ago had 15, 20 liner companies to call to try to employ his vessels. Now he's down, he or she is down to half that. Uh, that must impact heavily on the tramp business, doesn't it? Well, yeah, that's not a problem, really. It's. Uh it all comes down to what kind of ships you have and whether your ships are in demand from the liner companies. Even if you have less uh, liner companies than before, the competition between, I mean, you just need two wanting your ship and you get your charter rate going up. You don't need uh, more than two to compete. So we do not see a problem. Actually, we, we see this very positively, the fact that the liner companies now, there are stronger, bigger, and they're more focused on you know on what they used to do when they were smaller they were trying to you know buy ships order ships 
they were a bit more confused on their strategy. Now the strategy is purely logistics, and they have decided that uh, they want to build the very large ships and let ships below 10,000 to the Trump owners to be chartered in. So, no, I, the answer is I don't think this is a problem for uh, you know, a, good, a good company that has the proper ships and a good name with long history. Uh, liner companies like that. And actually, what we see more and more is that the liner companies are trying to become partners in a way with uh, a few uh, larger operators so that they can have a steady flow of ships coming from them. Um, so that's something that I think we see very positively. Thank you. Given that we're seeing more and more, hearing more and more talk about 3D printing, we're seeing more and more production hubs coming closer to the market, sometimes uh, in uh, developing markets away from the traditional areas of uh, industrialization. Is it perhaps, what, what's the panel's view on uh, the era of the 20,000 TEU? Is the proliferation of the uh, 20,000 TEU vessel an inevitability, given the changes that we've just discussed? Or uh, have we se uh, has it seen its day and that the wise choice for investment is the smaller TEU vessels giving owners, operators greater flexibility? Aristides. Oh, sorry, Ian, actually, you haven't, uh, let you, you have a go. <laughs> yeah, it's an interesting question. Um, you know, we've, we've, we heard uh, from the dry bulk panel and, and from my colleagues about the, you know, the 20,000 TU, the arms race to ever larger ships, the drive for unit cost efficiencies, and that's particularly with the main trade lanes, Asia, Europe, and the Trans-Pacific, where freight rates are enormously volatile and to, to remain at all competitive, uh, you, you have to keep your cost under control. Those, those ships obviously can't trade uh, in any other trade lanes at the moment and not for the foreseeable future. Uh, on, on the other hand, the medium-sized and smaller ships, which is by and large where, where we all are and we're very happy to be in, which is the charter market, big ships aren't in the charter market, um, are much more flexible, they have global deployment, um, and I fully believe that that size category is, is here to stay. It's underbuilt at the moment. Um, the order book to fleet ratio overall is 14%, um, which is off the bottom, but is still historically very low. But within that, if you look at mid-sized and smaller ships below 10,000 TU, it's only 3%. Uh, so it's an old underbuilt sector because capital has been directed, the scarce capital that's been available has been directed to the strategic ships. So you can still pick up um, mid-sized and smaller ships in the second-hand market at a significant discount to new building price parity, which is going to continue to put downward pressure on the order book for the next little while. So I wouldn't expect significant amounts of investment capacity, certainly not on a speculative basis, to go into the mid-sized and smaller sector until uh, second-hand values and charter rates improve further. And just, just to remind you about how the market works, 18 months ago, an 8,000 TU vessel was in the market for around $8,000 a day. Notwithstanding the consolidation that we've seen, the alliances that we've seen form and, and the, the number of large companies shrink, the charter rate today is not far off three times that, low, low 20s uh, per day. So the market is still working very effectively and there's no reason for that not to continue. Aristides, do you want to say something on that? 
No, no. <laughs> uh, in your, in the panel's uh, view, and just bearing in mind the time we have left, what is the sweet sector of the container market? Is it, is it the top end? Is it the bottom end? Is it somewhere in the middle? Uh, is that likely to change over the next year, two years? What is the, 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 the sweet sector? George, if you could start off. You're looking at it, the three of us. <laughs> no. Well, I, I would say that uh, obviously not in large ships, because that's not something for, for Trump owners anyway. Uh, I don't particularly believe into the, uh, you know, into the leasing model uh, of you know, getting a ship uh, for 10 years charter, you know, expensive uh, ship and with a high charter rate and then make a reasonable you know, of 8, 10% return. Uh, that's not the model we follow. So I would say that looking from a Trump owner's uh, point of view, where you have to build or buy your ship at the right time, which should be the bottom, and then wait for the market to improve and uh, make money, which is the st standard shipping model, uh, I would say that uh, the sweet spot is to have ships that, have, that offer to the liner companies low uh, slot cost like I said from the beginning. That's the focus of all line and companies. Uh, and in this respect, my pick is wide beam ships, uh, so post-Panamax, as we used to call them, post-Panamax ships uh, mainly. That's my, my first preference. So ships between, let's say, five and a half to, I don't know, 9,000 TU, which is where the Trump owners uh, you know, can uh, operate these sizes. That's my preference. Of course, uh, feeders are great ships, but I'm just saying that with respect to where is the most upside, you know, where we go, you can have, uh, because by the way, charter rates, Ian said, uh, were low 20s. Those ships should be in the, you know, high 30s or low 40s. So we're still a long way to go from where the market improving can take us. So we're not, there yet. There's a lot of upside in the containers anyway. Aristides. What's the sweet spot? I think that uh, the sweet spot is the, in the whole really spectrum of container ships uh, still. Uh, we've seen charter rates uh, triple uh, in the case of the bigger vessels uh, recently, and the, I think they, are, they caught up. Uh, charter rates for smaller ships have all, also more than doubled, but still this is from an extremely low level where we were. Most people here follow dry bulk closer, so I can give an analogy. I think that container shipping is lagging the dry bulk shipping by about a year. We, we, in 2017, container ships, and I'm talking about all the charter vessels up to 10,000 uh, TU, were earning uh, either being idle or earning operating costs, just like we had with the dry bulk vessels uh, in 2016. Now we've seen a recovery. It's not completed, but it's underway, and I think that we will continue to see improving charter rates towards historical average uh, rates uh, within the next uh, year or so, 
if we don't have, uh, you know, these uh, trade wars uh, and all this discussion uh, affect uh, mainly sentiment, because uh, sentiment unfortunately drives markets quite significantly. Thank you. Uh, Ian, in the, in the short time we've got left, one last question for you, uh, and perhaps the other panel members can comment on if we have time. We heard from Philippe and the other uh, esteemed members of the last panel that uh, reducing speed was the panacea to all ills. Uh, it's certainly in the bulk market. Is that uh, advice the same? Does it apply in the same way to the container market? Uh, yes, it does. Um, I'm not a marine engineer, but the same... Uh, same facts apply to container ships as they do dry bulk. If you slow down, you burn less fuel proportionately. Um, uh, and I, I suspect, like the dry bulk industry, well, for sure the container sector has been slow steaming for the last 10 years, um, particularly on the long trade lanes, the Asia-Europe trade lanes. So in the old days, a loop of uh, nine or 10 large vessels between China and Europe is, is, is today, it's 12 vessels. Uh, because of the, the ships have slowed down. How much more capacity there is for slow steaming, I, I don't know. You would expect um, that, uh, uh, that that opportunity to have been grabbed as much as it could have been in the last 10 years with higher oil prices and uh, pressure on earnings. George, any comments on that? Yes. The, the best gift given to us is the regulation starting from 1st of uh, January 2020 for containers. Container ships have five times the engine of a tanker or a bulk carrier on a similar size ship. So it's like you're driving down the street with a, with a you know, gas-guzzling uh, car with a you know, huge engine. Therefore, in containers, speed limitation is going to be more severe than in dry bulk or tankers because the effect is going to change a lot the fuel consumption. So we believe uh, coming uh, to the 2020 we will see a fleet reduction as uh, we expect the, fl the fleet to slow down substantially, the, you know, creating a lot more economies uh, you know, by reducing. Yes. So, I work everyone up. Yeah, for, so for containers, the, the effect that the dry bulk people mentioned, it is going to be multiplied uh, since the engines are so much bigger and the consumption is so much larger. Thank you. Right, uh, final question, uh, working from Aristides on through the rest of the panel. What's the biggest cha challenge to the container industry that you see, the container market? Very, very briefly, 10 seconds, each, each panelist. I don't really see a challenge. I see good times ahead. Wonderful. Ian? Uh, people forgetting about the hog cycle and over-investing in new ships. And George? Five letters. Trump. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs>